Welcome. I'm Leslie Cannon. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. I'm Mary Gavoni, and I'll be the moderator for this episode. The title for this episode is The News You Don't Want to Hear, But You Need to Know. And it's all about COVID-19. We know many of our listeners are tired of hearing about COVID-19, but there's a lot of things happening right now that you really do need to know. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating the regulatory world to keep you on course. You can subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. All the resources we mention during our podcast can be found on our website, thecompliancedivas.com, and you are free to submit questions to our email, support at thecompliancedivas.com. So unless you have been on an island with no communication with the outside world, you most likely know that lots and lots of COVID-19 cases have surfaced, increased, spread in the last um, several weeks, including our president, who has up until now been successful at fighting COVID. But many people are not paying attention to this increase in cases. And we're going to talk about why the cases are increasing, what do we need to do, and we'll talk about a lot about the difference between public health recommendations and healthcare facility guidelines. And, and we all need to remember that a dental practice is a healthcare facility. So we're different than going into a grocery store or a department store or something like that. So Linda, can you start us off by reviewing the most recent data we have from the CDC COVID tracker? Absolutely, Mary. The CDC COVID-19 tracker is showing the entire country has a high level of cases. Across the country, not only are the numbers of cases rising, but so are the deaths and hospitalizations, believe it or not. Uh, we don't hear much about it, but that's, that's, that's what's happening. There's over 126,000 new cases per day and over 6,500 hospitalizations per day. Thankfully, though, even though the death rate is rising at 355 deaths on a daily average, that number is not rising as quickly as we saw with the earliest COVID virus and including the Delta variant. However, one point we wanna make throughout today's podcast, Mary, is that as healthcare professionals, we have to be sure we're tracking the community transmission rates, not the community level rates. And I think that we'll be repeating that several times so our listeners really begin to grasp the difference in those two reporting tools that the CDC has. So those two different reporting systems are confusing. So we need to be following in healthcare the community transmission rates. The news typically reports the community level, which is ranked on a three-point scale. And the community transmission rate is ranked on a four-point scale, which goes from high, substantial, moderate, and low. When you look at the community transmission rate, 92% of the country is in the red zone, the high zone. So their cases are just, there's a lot of significant cases. And as I just said, the numbers are rising, the hospitalizations are rising, and so are the deaths. So Mary, this means that COVID-19 is still impacting us personally and professionally. 
our patients are canceling because they have COVID or a member of their family, our team members are calling out sick. This is why it makes so much sense to protect your health and your profitability by continuing to follow those COVID protocols in the CDC, Mary. Thanks, Linda. And not only do we need to follow those protocols, we need to make sure we understand what those protocols are. And Leslie's going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But first, I want to address some information that Olivia Wan, who our fellow diva who couldn't be with us here today, wanted us to discuss. And that is about this Omicron variant, because 78 or more percent of the cases right now are this Omicron B5 variant, which is what we have just been informed is what President Biden has. And that's what's causing such a high level of community transmission. These viruses are much more easily transmitted primarily because their viral load is so high And so it doesn't take a very long exposure necessarily to cause a transmission. We see people who are vaccinated, who are boosted twice, and even who have had COVID infections and still getting reinfected. We're seeing a lot of reinfections with the Omicron variant. Because this viral load is so high, those of us who are vaccinated and boosted can still get COVID and still transmit COVID because the virus overwhelms the immune system. And so they're called vaccine evasive. So this whole era of all of these mutations of the virus is what's causing this spike in transmissions to to happen. And the only way for us to try to get this under control finally, after how many years we've been dealing with this, is to help stop the spread. So many practices have stopped screening patients, and you should not, according to the CDC. And many people are not testing um, if they do have respiratory symptoms. If you have symptoms of COVID, you should have a test. And one of the things that I was reading about over the weekend was the fact that many people now are testing at home and they don't report the results necessarily to their physician or to a health department. So the numbers that we have of community transmission may actually be a lot higher than we think they are if all of these testing results are not being reported. So Leslie, can you elaborate for us a little bit more on what does the CDC guidance state that dental healthcare providers and dental facilities should be doing to protect themselves and their patients? Well, Mary, you know, this podcast is on July 25th of 2022. So I want to remind our listeners to uh, continually check back with CDC to see what updates there are. CDC still refers to the February 2022 guidance for healthcare settings. Um, First of all, as you mentioned, establish a process to identify and manage individuals with suspected or confirmed SARS-CoV-2 or COVID infection. And they recommend this by a couple of different means. One, to post visual alerts with updates, meaning that you're alerting your your patients as they come in the door, uh, what the signs and symptoms of COVID would be, including uh, information on hand washing and alerting the 
dental personnel if they have any of the symptoms that are listed. And one point that was brought up during an earlier podcast this year, our fellow diva Olivia said that we should be dating these visual alerts or posters. You know, as you've mentioned, we've been talking about COVID to the point where we're, we're we have COVID fatigue from hearing about it. And our patients are just looking at these visual alerts saying, you know, this is old news or they they just look right past it. But if it has a current month and year, if you put the date, well, here it's almost the end of July, but by the time this podcast is published and you listen to it, you might put August of 2022 on your poster. Also, uh, we're going to, uh, through the screening process, postpone non-urgent dental treatment on patients who are suspected or confirmed of SARS-CoV-2 infection or who meet the criteria for quarantine for uh, COVID infection. So that's going to be the first thing we do is continue to screen. And as a reminder to our California listeners, you're required to do this anyway and have been since 2009, according to the aerosol transmissible disease standard. So dental practices must conduct screening. Now, the methods or mechanism of screening should be in your written plans, and you can opt for temperature taking or not. Some people have dropped the temperature taking, but there should certainly be some kind of at least verbal communication with the patient surrounding uh, questions inquiring of their symptoms or whether they are uh, have tested positive or have been in contact with someone who tested positive or are experiencing symptoms uh, at this time. Now, the next thing that CDC tells us is that uh, we still need to practice source control. And source control would be uh, in all healthcare settings, regardless of what type of healthcare setting, dentistry falls into a high risk category. But we're talking about all individuals, meaning front office personnel, uh, you know, uh, bookkeeper, insurance biller, and the clinical team. And if you're using a, a covering, a face covering or a mask during patient care, that it should be a NIOSH approved respirator or N95 if you are uh, providing care for a patient and it's an aerosol generating procedure. Another thing that I also want to mention about wearing N95s is that um, if we're going to be wearing an N95 or a KN95 during a non- aerosol generating procedures for, let's say, front office personnel. And remember, uh, OSHA doesn't recognize KN95s as respiratory protection, but they can be used as source protection. If they're used for source protection, uh, then they could be worn throughout the day. But when we're using N95s or surgical face masks during patient care, they need to be removed and discarded after patient care encounter, and a new one should be donned. And something else that's important to, to recognize is that uh, when you're performing an aerosol generating procedure, you are at a higher risk for getting exposed to SARS-CoV-2, especially if you're wearing only a surgical face mask. So uh, aerosol generating procedures, let's just review quickly what CDC says is aerosol generating procedures. These aerosol generating procedures might be uh, considered when you are using an air and water syringe, a dental handpiece, such as a high-speed dental handpiece, an ultrasonic scaler, performing air polishing or air abrasion. And so uh, while there may be other forms of aerosol generating procedures as listed in the CDC guidelines for other healthcare settings, these are the uh, types of devices and the procedures that we perform that can generate aerosols for us. Now, just another added note is that 
I always like to fall back on the information from FDA that N95 respirators that are intended for use in healthcare settings are protecting both the wearer and the patient from the transfer of microorganisms, body fluids, and particulate material. So I always feel so much more comfortable wearing an N95 respirator in dental procedures, clinical procedures, because not only am I protecting myself, but I'm also protecting my patient. So uh, again, dental facilities should be mindful of using the, the CDC guidelines for aerosol generating procedures and protecting themselves. And just a, another little talking point surrounding what CDC recommends is that we postpone all non-urgent care if we do have a patient that is suspected uh, or confirmed for having SARS-CoV-2 until they either meet the criteria for completing quarantine or they have no longer have symptoms. Also, dental uh, care for patients should only be provided if medically necessary when they have uh, symptoms. So if there is somebody that has, let's say, an abscess tooth, we have to take into consideration that might elevate their uh, fever. And that might be solely because of an uh, abscess tooth as opposed to uh, a SARS-CoV-2 infection. And the other thing is to make sure that our treatment facility is set up appropriately. Sometimes we have treatment where we can provide care in an individual treatment room. That's what CDC recommends, if we can do that whenever possible. And if we have an open floor plan, CDC is recommending at least six feet of space between patient chairs. This is nothing new. This is something that they've recommended for quite some time now. Uh, physical barriers between patient cares, patient care chairs. And then in operatories, the operatories should be oriented parallel to the direction of airflow if possible. And you can get more details on that from the CDC guidelines, which we will have posted on the Compliance Divas website. They also recommend that whenever possible, consider patient orientation carefully when placing the patient's head near the return air vents and away from pedestrian care, uh, corridors and toward the rear wall when using vestibule style office layout. Also, one final point that they recommend for us is to account for time required to clean and disinfect operatories between patients when we're calculating our daily patient volume. So in other words, how many patients we're going to see. That's a, a little bit difficult in practices that see, let's say, maybe 100 patients in a day, like orthodontic or pediatric practices. Thank you, Leslie. That's such a great reminder of all the things that we have been told by the CDC that we should be doing and have kind of let them go by the wayside thinking that this pandemic is over and it's certainly not. Which leads me, Linda, to a question for you. We still hear from many dental practices that say that the CDC guidance is voluntary and we really don't need to follow it. Can you explain to our listeners how that isn't necessarily true? Absolutely, Mary. I know all of the divas have encountered and continue to encounter teams or dentists who have the perspective that the CDC is nice to know, but it's not the law, meaning that the CDC guidelines are optional or voluntary. And sadly, that is a misperception in our industry. And I recall, and I'm sure um, my fellow divas do as well, that during the height of the COVID pandemic, there was a lot of conversation on social media about, well, this is a guidance from CDC. This is a guideline or guidance from OSHA. That means it's not the law. We don't have to follow it. But we have to dig a little deeper because that's just the surface level. And when you peel back the onion, you begin to get to the reasons of why those guidance documents are important and why they're not voluntary. 
So to explain this, Mary, I'd like to think of the CDC as a wheel with a number of different spokes. So if we can have that visualization, one spoke is state law. And we know there's a growing number of dental practice acts across the country that have adopted the CDC guidelines um, in their entirety into the Dental Practice Act, meaning that indeed they are law in those states. Other states have adopted different levels of it or different portions of it. So everyone, um, I would refer our listeners to look at your Dental Practice Act because you will find something there. And if you don't find the reference directly, call the dental board and ask for a copy of that information. It's in the public domain. And most assuredly, look at the section under the disciplinary areas and what types of areas would constitute disciplinary action under the dental board in your state. You will probably find something to the nature that says um, for not maintaining a safe and sanitary environment. And so that brings us to who sets the guidelines for that, who writes the standards, and that would be the CDC. And that would be the basis of what a dental board would look at if they are investigating a patient complaint about cleanliness in a dental setting. And it's been my experience, Mary, here in Florida and working with some cases where that's happened, um, the attorneys representing the doctors in those cases have made it very clear to me that when a patient complains about cleanliness and sanitary aspects of a dental practice, it goes to the top of the list for investigation, very much like an impaired practitioner claim. So important spoke of the wheel there. Another spoke in this wheel is OSHA. And we have all seen over the past few years how OSHA has said that healthcare professionals should implement transmission-based precautions and standard precautions. So OSHA is expecting us to be in compliance with those. Those are not just guidance recommendations because when you look at um, the publications that OSHA um, published during, and the memos too, during COVID, it was an explanation of their laws, not just a guidance on this is nice to do, but here's a guidance on how to follow our law. And to give a, uh, a parallel here, I'd like our listeners to think about the HIPAA laws. The Office of Civil Rights will frequently publish a guidance document on how to be in compliance with the privacy rule or the security rule. And it might be regarding um, passwords, it might be regarding patient data, it might be regarding ransomware, whatever the topic is. And that's exactly what OSHA is doing. So these guidance documents from OSHA are about how to be in compliance with the OSHA laws. So OSHA expects healthcare professionals to be in compliance with CDC. And Mary, even, you can even look at, and I know you know this already, um, but just to help our listeners understand, when an OSHA inspector shows up in any healthcare facility, including a dental office, they have a set of compliance directives that they follow for that inspection. And those compliance directives talk about transmission-based precautions and standard precautions. And to give one more example on this point, I know several different practices that had employee complaints during COVID. And when I saw their OSHA letters, it was all related to aerosol complaints. And OSHA is enforcing those aerosol complaints. There was no aerosol transmission precautions. There weren't any um, air purification devices. There were no respirators, all those types of things that, that Leslie's just talking about. So I'd like to add that third spoke now to the wheel, and that is the standard of care. When there's an issue with any infection control, any break in infection, um, a plaintiff's attorney is not only going to be looking at the law, they're going to be looking at the um, State Dental Practice Act, they're going to be citing OSHA, and they're going to be looking for the CDC that sets the standard of care for what we should be doing in healthcare. So Mary, that's sort of it short and sweet. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic as well. 
Linda, you did an excellent job of explaining the situation that we're in. And I hope that if nothing else um, we've learned from this COVID-19 pandemic, that we need to listen to what the CDC tells us to do, um, because not only is it um, in our best interest, in our patients' best interest, it's doing the right thing. I know a lot of our listeners probably got frustrated from time to time with the CDC because they were changing their guidance um, a lot. And many people viewed that as, well, they can't make up their mind. And that was not the case. It was that the information kept changing, the science. Um, we kept learning more and more. And so the CDC had to adapt and sometimes very quickly to changes that needed to be made based on the science. So one message that we wanna leave our listeners with today is the importance of continuing to screen your patients and continuing to screen employees, making sure that employees are not coming to work with symptoms of COVID, that they are tested. And if they test positive, they stay away from the practice for the required amount of time because the pandemic is not over. And until we can more effectively stop the spread through screening and, and containing exposures, it will continue. We all want it to be over with, but we all have to do the work to make that happen. So thank you for joining us for this episode, and we hope that you will tune in again. The Compliance Divas brings clarity and simplicity by navigating the regulatory world to keep you on course. If you have any questions from this podcast, submit them by email to support at thecompliancedivas.com. All of the resources we mentioned will be posted on the resource page on our website at thecompliancedivas.com. Thank you for listening.